Welcome to Miracles in Recovery with Ray Lynch. If you are one of the millions of people facing addiction issues or the loved one of someone who is, we're here to help and to discuss solutions. Hope is in your corner. Now, here's your host, Ray Lynch. Good evening and welcome to Miracles in Recovery. It is, man, February 25th already. Yeah, we're getting close. We're getting close to the thirty-year mark. Okay, let's let's do so. Let's do some real quick math here, right? Okay. If you take February twenty-eighth and subtract it from February twenty-fifth, you got three days. Three days. Well, actually, it's more like two now. Okay, so it's more like two now. So in more like two now, I will be celebrating thirty years clean and sober. Wow. That and is it, such a major accomplishment. But it's crazy because, you know, like they say, you know, the, um, more will be revealed. And, and this right, this milestone, I would say, 30 years is, um, is crazy. I just can't even comprehend it's been that long because my memories of using are still that vivid. And well, gratefully, they are just because if I forgot where I came from. I'm destined to repeat, and fortunately enough, you know, they're still alive and well. Well, I'm glad they're still alive and well, and you're here talking with me tonight. Yes, and we are also, nice segue, Ellen. We are also speaking on the line with Jennifer Manili. She is a recovering addict as well with almost 12 years clean. She is the founder and CEO of Manili Consulting, working with parents that have adult children in addiction. She got her start working as a leadership coach with large companies and senior executives. How are you, Jennifer? I am great. How are you doing? Fantastic. Now, um, share with us a little bit about, um, you know, it, it says that you're a recovering addict. Uh, mm-hmm. Share a little bit, of, you know, like connect a little bit with the audience because we do have a, this is a worldwide audience. We have, you know, it. We the majority of our listeners are in the United States, and then the next major country that listens is Ireland. Okay. Um, maybe because I'm Irish. Maybe because you know. <laughs> well, I'm fifty five percent Irish. Just oh, so everyone did, knows. You did find that yes. out. Yes. Nice. Fifty five percent. This is yes. an Irish show. We're going to start doing <laughs> about Irish heritage from now on. Um, but no, share with share with the audience a little bit about who you are and became to be in recovery? Well, I mean, as anyone comes to be in recovery, um, a few years ago, well, you know, I guess it's been um, 12 years ago, I was in the middle midst of my great bottom that I had to hit um, of just, you know, drugs, just not really knowing how to deal with life, with myself, with all my anxiety issues, and doing the best that I could in terms of what I had available to me, which was a lot of drugs, Um, and just kept getting introduced to more and more, and it, it, it got to the point where it wasn't, for me, even... I wasn't scared to die anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I get it. Um, yeah, so it, it, that just it was, became an I option. Was begging the for Saturday that, night option. You know? Yeah, you know the so, funny thing is, but, is the funny thing is, is what you said. You you said I kept getting introduced to more and more drugs. 
Um, I think that's the common the common flow because you know I, I haven't ever spoken to somebody who said all these roadblocks got in my way <laughs> to be able to use everything just came our way and we find ourselves on the wrong end of a life that's not even worth living at that mo- at that place you know no, and that, that was the thing was I, I started getting really scared that I was going to have to continue living that way. And, and that kind of made me start re- really thinking about what I wanted to do because I was like, I don't, I don't care to die. I just don't want to live like this. Exactly. Um, yeah, so and it is. It was one of those things where it's like when, once you find that, that kind of road down into the drug world, it opens up very easily. Did you start when you were in high school? I did. I start. I started young, mostly just with a little, with mostly just with pot um, at that age, drinking because that's that's what you can get your hands on easily. <laughs> right. Um, I would have started with anything though. Um, that was just a, what was the most accessible at that time. So you said you start. You said you started with weed, and of course I started with weed and graduated all the way up to uh, my drug of choice, which was heroin. Um, and it brought me to places I didn't want to be, put me with people I didn't want to be with, and made me do things I didn't want to do. Um, oh yeah. What are your? We're gonna, I'm going to like slip off a little bit to the side here, but today in recovery and in the business that you run, what are your or what is your best understanding of, like, medical marijuana or maintenance recreational marijuana? Do you still have a hard stance against it, or are you a little bit more in tune with what's going on? I don't want to say you're not in tune, but a little bit more in tune sure. with, yeah. Well, I, you know, for me, I, I don't... It, it, you can always get in trouble going down this road. Um, but I think for me, I, the research is is that there's a lot of really good uses for marijuana for a lot of people. And just like I've come to an acceptance with the fact that I can't use alcohol, which is legal, and I right. can't drink it because of what it does to me, but that doesn't mean that what it does to me does it to everyone else. Oh, no, exactly, um, exactly, to yeah, thine so own self me, be true. Yep. it's like if someone finds that this is a good resource for them to help them in some ways and they balance that out in their life and it doesn't impact them like it does me, I think more power to them. <laughs> right, no, exactly. <laughs> That's kind of exactly. my stance on that where it's like I'm not really against it and I think I had a struggle within myself for a long time Um being against it, and then as more and more research and data came out about it, I'm kind of like, you know what? Just because it's not for me doesn't mean it wouldn't be able to help someone else. Oh, really? Because I've seen um, videos on YouTube and things like that where somebody with Parkinson's disease either takes a, uh, you know, like a a THC pill or smokes a a joint and five minutes later they're laying on the couch nice and relaxed and they're not shaking. And so, you know, in, in, in cases like that, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't attempt it because, you know, the, the, the evil inside me would say, 
well, you blew it. Why don't you just go right back to heroin? I mean, I've (laughs) I've shared this on many occasions. I'm 29 years clean, and today's still a good day to get high. I'm an addict. It's what I do. I I have to take the necessary steps on a daily basis in order to be able to um, keep that reality in check because it's still a reality for me. I'm an addict, and if I don't pay attention to what I'm doing, I can find myself somewhere where I don't want to be again. So for me, I would have to say no thank you. I try not to take medication even on simple surgeries and you know, I try not to even take Novocaine at the dentist. It's tough, but um, you know, it's just how it just it's just my but for someone else, and and I don't, I don't in any way point my finger or look down at somebody who makes that choice because I have seen firsthand how much it can help somebody. Yeah, and I'm I'm with you in in all the same ways in which I'm I'm a full supporter for other people to use that. Just like I'm a full supporter that if, if people want to go out and have you know a glass of wine at dinner, I support them in that i don't choose to do that myself (laughs) no right yeah so that's well so so, on that (laughs) so getting back to your story Mm -hmm. i won't even get into my stance on it um (laughs) (laughs) she's one of those she's she's one of those she's on the other side of the you know yeah well, it, it it has helped my daughter who was an opioid or is an opioid addict, and she's doing quite well with the medical version of it. So it does help some people. But anyway, um, as far as you go, how long were you in that drug life? Well, I was I was in and out up until twenty four. At like twenty two, I tried to get clean, and I did. I was actually successful for a couple of years um, getting clean and staying clean and doing the things that I needed to do, um, and then slowly, you know, I, over time, I kind of faded away from doing all of those things that I needed to be doing for myself and ended up going back, and that's when things got really bad for me for the next year. Um, things went downhill because... It's even more painful once you know there's a different way and a different way to live and mm. you make a decision to go back to it. Yeah, exactly. You know, you become work. a you become a volunteer at that point and it's just right. it's the, yeah, it's it's a it's a hard road to go. I mean, there was many a times where I got clean and never really had true longevity like I I was abstinent for X amount of days and those days really didn't count but I mean they counted I guess because I'm here today but they didn't count for anything solid at that point because I was still putting myself back in all of the situations that I didn't belong in so I was I was dynamite waiting to explode waiting to be lit right and I found out once I found out that uh, there was a better way is ultimately when my journey started to um, evolve into where I, you know, into into getting clean February 28th, 1989. So and very soon, very soon you're coming up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Three, two days. Two days. That's incredible. That's incredible. 
Yeah. Well, it's only a day. By the way, you know, it's 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 really only a thank you, but it's only a day. I just have many of them, many experiences of that one day. Right. You know. <laughs> I understand. But you know, the funny thing is, is is if I don't keep constant vigilance, I can throw that all away in just a negative thought. Oh yeah, that's all it takes. Yeah, I was a um, I was a uh, firefighter up in Massachusetts before I retired, and I remember we had to respond. We had to respond to um, you know medical calls, and every once in a while there was there was an individual who was who was you know overdosed, and the guys that I responded with would look at it, look at this individual like like a second class citizen. And I used to always say, you know, we're all one bad decision away from being that individual on the floor. Let's just, you know, let's do what we have to do and, and get them the assistance that they they need. And, you know, after a while, the people that I worked with started showing a little more compassion because they knew, one, I was there, and two, they ultimately knew where I was coming from and where I came, you know, to that point. So, you know, when when we look at individuals who are out there and still sick and suffering, we as a whole, as society as a whole, look at them a little different way than we do the high school cheerleader or the high school football player who's in the news all the time. Um, and we need to change that. Somehow. Yeah. Well, I do think I, I do think it's it's kind of starting to change because there are yeah. so many people whose who whose families have been affected by that, you know, by the disease, and and you know, particularly with regard to the opioid epidemic. I think we're up to 192 a day now, but I'm I was kind of interested in. I mean, how many rehabs did you go to? Did they work? That kind of thing. Well, for me, I went to two rehabs, and that, I didn't actually, they were the, it was the same rehab. I enjoyed it so much, I decided to go back. <laughs> um, you, you like the food that much, right? But, but I, you know, I went, I went to this, this, this one rehab, it was down in Virginia, and um, it was a great, it was a great rehab for, for me. It was, um, it was a place that was um, for addicts and run by addicts. So they didn't have any clinical uh, people running it. It was just um, just a bunch of addicts trying to get clean. And, um, and then, you know, like I said, I had stayed clean for a couple of years, and then I went back. Um, out for a year and I relapsed and when I relapsed I stayed out and that whole year just got progressively down Mm -hmm. into a very dark place and a very dark hole that I got enough of the information that I needed to get Um, and I did not go back to rehab until I was ready and that was the biggest thing was I made a lot of I made a lot of decisions for me the second time I went back into rehab because um, mm. I wanted to do it. I think before I did a lot of things out of obligation and the fact that I thought that I just should, not that I wanted to. 
Right. Maybe, you know, maybe that's, I don't want to say maybe that's why you weren't successful with staying clean, but maybe that's why you just had to go out and do a little bit more research to, to prove to yourself that you were the one that needed to find this out. I mean, you can never, I never condemn anyone for, um, I, I like to say going back out and doing a little research because I, 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 it's 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 in it's in our DNA and it's something that we need to stay so aware of, and if we let it slip, we've already even before we picked up the substance that we're using, we've already relapsed. We've already gone back out there. We've committed to ourselves that we're going to do it, even if we're not vocally saying it to ourselves. We're already in gear, you know. Absolutely. Oh yeah, and that's that's exactly how it was, you know, for me before. Before I actually picked up the drugs, there was a lot of things that I did prior to that that set me that set me up for that. Um, and I I was definitely in my you know disease thinking before I ever picked up that that drug. The drugs was always just a symptom of a much bigger issue. Right. So. And and you say it was the inability to deal with your emotions? Oh, yes. I, you know, I just, I think for me, and, and not unlike a lot of other addicts that I talk to, it just, I'm a very sensitive person, and I just don't know that I knew how to cope with all of my sensitivities and, you know, have really bad anxiety and I didn't know how to cope. I don't think I was mature enough at the time to really know what to ask for, for help. Uh, you know, when you're younger, you don't have the maturity to say, oh, mm-hmm. I'm just really struggling with my emotions right now and and this is really what I need to do and and it's just about covering them up. That's the best. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Say it. So. No, you're you're 100% right. I would never at 28 years old when I got clean and I struggled for quite a few years with trying to figure it out and hit many detoxes. I would have never been able to vocalize an issue that I deal with today the same as back then. I, I just would have shut up and used, you know, and today you know, the growth has changed me immensely in being able to stand up. And, you know, yeah, we're we're all very sensitive people. I, I haven't met an addict who really isn't. I mean, everybody likes to think they're Joe Hard guy and they're burying bodies in their backyard, but that's just yeah. not the truth. Of <laughs> I don't know. I might yeah. have met one or two. <laughs> yeah. But that's just not the truth and not everybody. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I've heard the same thing, too. There's There's... A huge amount of sensitivity and and empathy, really, and that's why we are how we are and why we do what we do, right? Yeah, and and growing up, it's it's you know I think especially in our society, we've kind of come into that place of oh well, I understand that you're having emotions, but you just need to deal with them. Mm-hmm. And for some people, it's like okay, but how? <laughs> like what, right. what do I need to do? And I think. I think that we get so immune to other people's emotions, too, that we don't honor each other in that way growing up anymore, especially since, you know, we just, I just don't think we honor our emotions like 
we should as as society goes. No, you're 100% correct. And what we're going to do is, and seeing we spoke a little bit about, uh, you know, seeing you claimed your seat, as they say, on the other side of the break, we're going to speak a little bit about how you founded uh, Manili Consulting okay. and what that uh, has to offer the uh, people who are looking for assistance. And um, maybe we can just talk about anything else. Maybe I want I want you to uh, share with the audience on the other side how people can get in touch with you, websites, books, web pages, okay. anything like that. So when we come back, we'll we'll talk about um, this aspect, the recovering aspect, and how you uh, help the public. Dial eight six six four seven two five seven nine two. That's eight six six four seven two five seven nine two. We'll be back in a moment. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Have you stopped to think seriously about hypnosis? Hypnosis can set you on your way to better health, can free you from anxiety, phobias, and so much more. Join host Inez Simpson for Hypnosis Everywhere, Inez Simpson and the Simpson Protocol. This show is for anyone from the experienced hypnotist practitioner to the merely curious. Inez Simpson offers tools and insights from the whole world of hypnosis with guests and open discussions. Hypnosis Everywhere, the Simpson Protocol, airs live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent, inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. When a woman is diagnosed with breast cancer, it's probably the most frightening thing that's ever happened to her. Friends and family often don't know what to do for support, not to mention the patient herself. That's where Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio comes in. Join Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin, breast cancer survivors and advocates. They help by providing inspiration, information, and most of all, hope. Tune in Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. We got the power to change the world. Is your health where you think it should be? If you're like most people, the answer is probably not. Where can you get the answers you need to get on the right track? The answers start on Occupy Health. Each week, host Dr. Susan Downs and her guest experts will answer your questions as well as prepare you for questions you'll want to ask your health provider. You'll want to plan for your optimal health with Occupy Health. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. listening to Miracles in Recovery. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to ray at miraclesinrecovery.org. Now, back to this week's show. 
Well, we're back. You know, the, it, it, isn't it crazy, Ellen, how um, when you're having a good conversation, it like, yeah, it, it, it seemed like it was like four minutes, and then the break was like 30 seconds. So I was like, okay, cool. We're back on the air. We're on the air with Jennifer Manili. She is a recovering alcoholic and addict, or just an al- addict, or however she wants to classify herself. I'll just call her both. I love everything. Dollars. <laughs> yeah, discriminate. Put a dollar in each basket. That was one thing that they told me when I when I when I first came around. I I used to say I'm an alcoholic and an addict, and then they'd say, "Well, just make sure you go to another meeting and throw a dollar in that basket too." So, <laughs> so you founded Manili Consulting. Mm-hmm. Yes. Tell tell us a little bit about it and what the services you offer and how people can get in touch with you. First, give us the how people can get in touch with you so maybe they can write it down while you're sharing about the services that you offer. Okay, so I think the best way for people to get in touch with me is actually just go to my website, which is ManiliConsulting.com, and you can spell Manili as M-A-N-E-E. L-Y, consulting.com. Um, and through that, there's a lot of uh, ways to get in touch with me. You can set up and schedule phone calls with me, um, complimentary phone calls. I think it's important for, for um, parents to be able to reach out and just talk to someone when they're in that kind of confusion and don't really know what's going on and what they need to do next. Right, so, that's a good idea. Yeah, that's the best way. Okay, so share with us a little bit about what your services are. So, well, my services are really tailored towards the parents. I have a few different kinds of ways to go about it, depending on how long people want to stay engaged with me. But generally, the idea is that I will set, I have different sets of packages that people can buy, and I will coach them on how to deal with their addicted loved one uh, through all of the, the boundaries that they have to set, the, the financial things that they have to think about, what it is to be a person in denial. <laughs> and that's a really hard one to get over. But sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm listening to the parents talk and they're like, oh, but my kid said this. And I'm like, yeah, and your kid's probably lying. Yeah. You know, and having someone with that kind of experience can be really helpful to break some of those denial points and remember that your kid is not the same person that you grew up, that you raised. <laughs> yeah, so. I, um, I've had... I'm a multitude of those experiences starting, gosh, I don't know, 17 years ago when my daughter was in high school. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of the most painful things for me was I didn't I didn't understand what was going on. I thought she was going to just, you know, I was kind of wild for the by 70s standards in high school. And I assumed she would just grow out of it like I did and, and go on to become relatively successful in life, and that did not happen, and I did not understand. I didn't get it, and it would have been really nice to have somebody like you to call and talk to. Yeah, it just kind of, what does that look like? You know, what's really going on with the kid, and how can you best help? And, you know, I've actually talked to a lot of parents that are 
in recovery that understand, and it's almost even harder for them. I've seen them be some of the absolute worst. (laughs) Right, because it's like, man, you really understand what they're going through, and you almost just fall into that kind of rescuer role because you know the outcomes, you know what they're going through, you think you know how to help them. (laughs) And, and, um, you know, every, this is, it's just a struggle because it's very different being in recovery with a kid or even not being in recovery and not having any idea of what to do. And it's good to have that, that unbiased third party come in and kind of either remind or you're learning for the first time, oh, these are the boundaries that need to be set. And having someone say, is that really a good boundary? You know, is that reasonable? (laughs) So what are the five biggest mistakes that parents make when they're dealing, especially with an adult child in addiction? It's a little different, you know, when they're underage and you're still responsible. But once they become adults, what what are the biggest mistakes we're making? So I would say the five biggest mistakes is the number one mistake is denial. It's when parents get themselves in denial. And that can be anywhere from just not even acknowledging that they have a drug problem or acknowledging that they have a drug problem but still continuing to buy into the BS that they're being fed. Um, another of the second mistake would probably be the financial oh, yeah. stuff where it's giving them money or paying for all their bills and continuing to support their drug use. But let's not let's not confuse that with uh, financial assistance through insurance to get them into a facility. I mean, I, I, I no, know no, that. No. Yeah, because a right, lot of people no, will, think- a lot of people will look at that and go, oh. She said not to not to finance them anymore. No, and, I don't. Yeah, yeah. I want I would do want to make that clear. Is 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 you know, an addict does need support, and they do need help, and a lot of times that comes with, you know, financial responsibilities. If if that's what the parent so wants to choose, and I think that's good. Like my mom did it for me, both times that I went to rehab, it was the second time. You know, she's like, hey, this is, this is it. And she didn't give me money. She protected me, too, financially. Like, she set up a trust right. for me so that yeah. if something was to happen to her, um, I wouldn't get money, just, just be given money when I was in that state. So there's, like, certain things in certain lines of the financial where it's like, is this good support or is this not good support. <laughs> right. Well, in, in in my instance, my daughter was in 20 inpatient rehabs. That doesn't count yeah. the sober livings, the IOPs. Um, I also retained an attorney multiple times. I put money on the books in jail. I put money on the phone in jail. Um, it, things like that. She sent she sent illegal letters from... I did send an illegal letter <laughs> to her friend in another part of the jail and got in trouble. I didn't know you couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, it happens. Yeah. But, but the the, those world, types of... I mean, that I, either. I think there comes a point, you know, with, with the rehab after rehab after rehab, and, you know, I'm paying co-pays on all of that. The... 
I don't know. At this point now, I'm glad I did everything that I did. But I realize, too, you know, sometimes there has to be a stopping point. Yeah, I think, think, well, I think, you know, uh, a loved one of an active addict, I don't want to say figures that out on their own, but... All you know, what I first wanted to say was, is you know, you can't just cut an individual off right at the knees because they are still going to need a little bit of, you know, even just that financial um, assistance of getting them into their first rehab and, and planting that seed. If you can't help after that, at least you helped out if you if you have the ability to because you know we have a lot of people who are not active alcoholics or addicts or even in recovery that listen to the show and um i the message probably should be love from a distance versus yeah, right. I agree. you know I agree. completely now, cut off but you know i i did i i did everything wrong but it put me in a horrible place right. mentally too you know completely and thank god I'm, you know I'm past that now but it was awful for years. So what's the next one? So the next one is the good parent syndrome. And Which that's is the Which is probably what uh, I was doing. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's very, it, it all intertwines with each other, right? So it looks a lot of like the financial and like you just kind of believe whatever it is that they're telling you. And, you know, I, I had a, friend and she was like man my my dad was just paying for all my bills every time I got in trouble he was coming in and bailing me out and you know I never really learned how to stand on my own two feet because I always just had that support that just allowed me continue to use and it's that you know, I want to be a good parent, so I'm not going to let my kids sit in jail. I'm not going to let my kid homeless. I'm not going to let my kids suffer all of their consequences that they probably need <laughs> um, to really kind of start thinking about getting desperate enough to get the help. <laughs> um, yeah, I, and then I there's, definitely yeah, did so that. Yeah, so it's that tough love. That's that's real hard for some people to do, though. You know, I did Absolutely. the, you know, I kicked her out. Actually, Ray came, picked her up, and took her to the halfway house that was the last stop before jail one time. Right. It's so hard. It's so hard. But then hard. I would let her come back, and I took her to my mother's, and, you know, she... Yeah, but you know something, though, like, all of that, looking back on it, that all of that was necessary uh, chaos, to get you to a place where you are today and ultimately to get her to where she is. And like with my mother going, you know, putting her through the spin cycle and then her ultimately telling me, you got to go. I can't help you anymore. Right. And neither are your brothers and sisters. You got to go. And ultimately it all had to get to that point. You know, I think everyone runs through the five mistakes that parents make and the probably uh, oh, that, yeah. pro- that number is probably 15 mistakes that parents make <laughs> it, you <laughs> know so everybody right, runs yeah. into that and 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 you know jennifer as well as i do we use that as as uh i call it emotional terrorism yes yes that 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 manipulation absolutely i did it all of this stuff i knew how i knew right. how to touch my mom's points and, oh, yeah. and get her to, to help. 
um, when I would give her the sob story. <laughs> you know, but the, the funny thing is, is, isn't it cool that you know those buttons are still there and you know you can push it in the back of your mind, you go, is now the right time to do it? And you go, nah, I don't want to do that too early. <laughs> no, <again."> it's not. <laughs> it's really not. <laughs> not today. <laughs> All right. So what's the next one? Four. So four is the boundaries with the no follow through. Because well, you guys keep jumping over them. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. And, you know, this is what I kind of, you know, remind people is that boundaries are actually really easy to set. It's the defending them. That's the hard right. part. Exactly. <laughs> and and that's and that's in every day with everything that we do, everything. not just with yeah. this. It's with everything that we do. Absolutely. And I think, you know, what I kind of work in the boundaries section with is reminding parents that, you know, boundaries should be proactive and not reactive because when you get reactive and like all of a sudden you're angry and you set all these boundaries out of anger and hurt and pain, when that goes away, the boundaries kind of go with the pain away. Uh (laughs) Exactly right. They go before the pain does. Right. I mean, you're still hurting. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have reacted that way. Boundaries are designed to be proactive. Right. (laughs) Right. They they need to be set ahead of time and stuck ahead to of time, it. and that's and you very have to difficult. Believe in them, right? So, um, and the last one, which ties everything in, and and this is the hardest one to overcome, and it takes a long time to do this. Like none of this is easy. Um, this is not easy, simple. This is very complicated. All the dynamics. It can take years to work through this stuff. And that's, you know, that's the guilt and shame that parents have um, right. on so many levels. And I think addiction is just, it's just filled with guilt and shame, not only for the families, but, you know, for the addicts as well. And mm. those are the things that can really cost um, the family a lot when it comes to trying to uphold the boundaries, going into the good parent syndrome, because it's, you know, sometimes you get caught in that overcompensating because you think you did something wrong raising them. Right, <laughs> right, definitely. You know, but I think so, that we as, we as recovering addicts um, have a better, I don't want to say chance, but we have a better um outlook on being able to walk through our guilt and shame because we carried that on our shoulder for so long out there using that we just want to shed that. You know, I I know that after my first year, I was like, okay, what do I need to do to get myself out of the mindset and thought process that I've been carrying around for the last year with all of this guilt and, um, you know, shame that, that I walked around with. Every time I looked at my mother, I remembered that, you know, I did this to her or I didn't show up at that thing or, you know, like I, you know, lied to them and stole and all of that stuff. I just wanted to purge myself of that crap. Now, I don't know how my family's what my family's process was to walk through their own personal guilt and shame of all of the things that, you know, I did out in my community 
when people look down their nose at my sisters and brothers because of who I became. Right. And that definitely, <laughs> definitely happens. It happens. Oh, it absolutely happens. You know what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to go to break now. So what we'll do is we will pick this up on the other side. And we'll ask you a little bit more about Manili. I almost I thought I said that backwards in my head. Manili <laughs> <laughs> Consulting. And um, if you have any questions for Jennifer, by all means, call in 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. We'll be back in a moment. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Have you stopped to think seriously about hypnosis? Hypnosis can set you on your way to better health, can free you from anxiety, phobias, and so much more. Join host Inez Simpson for Hypnosis Everywhere, Inez Simpson and the Simpson Protocol. This show is for anyone from the experienced hypnotist practitioner to the merely curious. Inez Simpson offers tools and insights from the whole world of hypnosis with guests and open discussions. Hypnosis Everywhere, the Simpson Protocol, airs live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent, inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. When a woman is diagnosed with breast cancer, it's probably the most frightening thing that's ever happened to her. Friends and family often don't know what to do for support, not to mention the patient herself. That's where Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio comes in. Join Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin, breast cancer survivors and advocates. They help by providing inspiration, information, and most of all, hope. Tune in Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. We Is your health where you think it should be? If you're like most people, the answer is probably not. Where can you get the answers you need to get on the right track? The answers start on Occupy Health. Each week, host Dr. Susan Downs and her guest experts will answer your questions as well as prepare you for questions you'll want to ask your health provider. You'll want to plan for your optimal health with Occupy Health. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Miracles in Recovery. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to ray at miraclesinrecovery.org. Now, back to this week's show. And we're back again. Um, you know, the funny thing is, is every time that we really start getting into a conversation, we have to go. To a we break. have to go to a break. So why don't? So why don't we just sit quiet this whole time? So we'll like really look forward to the end of the show. <laughs> not 
Okay, so we're on the line with Jennifer Manili, and she is the founder and CEO of Manili Consulting. Now, you had said in the other segment that you work with parents and loved ones. You don't work with addicts, correct? No, I, I, I do not work with addicts under my business. I do not. Because I, I work with them in my personal life all the time. <laughs> yeah, okay, so yeah, yeah, I guess you need some kind of professional outlet. How can the parents or loved one of an active addict or a recovering addict who, who probably just needs a little bit of good orderly direction, how, do, how can they get in touch with you? The best way they can get in touch with me is just go to my website, ManiliConsulting.com. Uh, they can also email me at Jennifer at ManiliConsulting.com. Okay, cool. And you don't have a social media stamp out there that they can... I have a Facebook page. It's called You Are Not Alone, and the handle is at Jennifer You Are Not Alone. Okay, cool. Good to know. And they can get in touch with me through there, too. So with with this new with this new business and assisting parents and um, finding out or hearing stories of what has been you know whatever hand has been dealt to these parents and loved ones of active addicts, does it bring up any? more like guilt with you because you're hearing maybe something that you have done that you haven't shared. Now, this just was a wild thought of mine. If I was listening to parents, like sometimes I listen to Ellen and, and I go, yeah, I remember being on the other side of that <laughs> problem. And, and sometimes it gives me like a little pang of, of guilt. And I don't necessarily know if that's just my, you know, dis-ease of the disease saying, okay, here's my in, you know? Right. For, for me, I would, no, I don't, and I'll tell you why, and it's because when I started this, this business, it, it came from just a very clear space that this was something that I really felt there was a need and that I needed to do. And I had already been talking a lot with parents, which is why it got me thinking about it from the business aspect of it, of thinking they needed more support than what I could just offer them or what they were willing to come to me with. And I thought it was a great opportunity for me to turn something of my past and something that was so traumatic and full of guilt and full of shame into something so positive where I could actually come from a place of experience with the parents of saying, no, these are the things that I did. These are the things that even I lied to my mom about. This, these were my stories of the horrible um, situations I put myself in, the horrible situations that I put other people in, and actually use that for a positive message for, for parents, especially to know that you know I am kind of on the other side of it, that there is hope. As well, so I don't use like I don't think about it as like guilt as much as well. There's hope that <laughs> you know your your kid can get better if they want to, if they choose to. Because I was, I mean, I was the worst. I was the worst kind of addict. I really was. <laughs> what were some of the challenges that you saw within the system that we have? I don't. I, I wouldn't even call it in place right now, but within the system of 
you know, how people try to get better? The biggest, the biggest gaps that I kind of even still see in the system is that lack of real family support where it's just focused on how to help the parents even while their kids are still doing what they're doing. And they, there are things out there that people can turn to, but often it's not always necessarily a viable option. And it's like, well, what is out there for the families? Because all of our resources and all of our attention seems to be going to the attic, which is necessary because that's who is in the most trouble. But at the same time, because it's a family disease, but what about the rest of the families too? So that was just kind of some of the challenges is acknowledging that it is a family disease, which means the whole family needs the support and help and not just mm-hmm. the addict. And I, I found that to be very true myself. And, and you know, I turned to uh, Al-Anon and Naranon and got real involved there. But I, I did notice that a lot of people would come in in just terrible distress. And for whatever reason, you know, they, they didn't take to those programs. And so they were still out there banging right. their heads against the wall. Absolutely. <laughs> and those, I, I, I love Al-Anon and Arnon, and for so it's helped so many people. And I think about because I am in the corporate world, and I do work with a lot of corporate clients. And this was my thing: was I was suggesting Al-Anon and Arnon to everyone that was coming, and some of them were senior executives, some of them were you know chief officers, and it you know they're kind of hesitated because they're like, right. I, I really can't. Like that's right. I can't. Even though it's an anonymous meetings. program, you can't go there, right? You know, and and so it was like, well, so now what? Well, what what's out there for them for the ongoing support? I right, absolutely. You know, nothing. that was my challenge. You know, I think it's great. I think it's great that you um, took up that challenge because there are plenty of people out there who uh, provide consulting services or do this type of work for the addict themselves and they kind of leave the family members to fend for themselves because it's something that they don't have of you know and fortunately or unfortunately enough I've been on both sides of the fence and and being on the loved one side of the fence watching someone tear themselves up is is not a good place to be no no it's not it's not and it's like you know the addict they have their drugs to turn to and the parents have to sit by and there's nothing they can do and they just have to feel everything Right. Yeah. Alan says that all the time. Yeah. At least at least you got at to medicate yourself. At least you guys were getting high. We were out here <laughs> suffering yeah. with nothing. Yeah. And you know, right. and I, I I don't mean to joke about it. It's not the least bit funny. It's a terrible terrible place to be. So what kind of advice would you give parents? The biggest thing that I can give parents and the advice is first get out of that just fix them attitude. And get into the, you got to get help for yourself too, however that looks. Um, This is not something for anybody to go through and try to figure out alone. No, because you're you're getting the wrong answer. You're getting it from yourself. Right, and if you had the answers, well, (laughs) you know. Yeah, why are we here? Yeah. Right. (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. So that's my biggest advice is don't try to do this alone. If we are our own worst enemies, <laughs> you're going to go to war with yourself. How many clients do you take on at a time? I take on uh, about six to seven clients at a time. That's about that's about the normal that's about the normal mm-hmm. caseload I think from even people who have done consulting of you know addicts themselves they I think that's like a safe number they say four. Right. Yes. And you know, for when I can't take clients on, I still have a lot of resources and I still provide mm-hmm. support because I don't want to ever turn anybody away. No, and yeah, and I guess you, I guess you really can't because I mean at that right. point. You know, you can't say, well, gee, I'm just too busy. You, you, no, you need to, no. Yeah. no, I don't ever turn anybody away. So. Right. Well, it is, it is um, as a parent, a very difficult position to be put in. And, and what I say now is my daughter got better when I just backed off and left her alone. Mm-hmm. She really did. She made the decision, you know, to get a career and go back to school. And even though she kind of had to go to jail in between, she did it. And now she's working and doing well. Right. And hopefully, um, you know, with with uh, Jennifer's services, a parent can get to that point. Right. You know, because it took you a long a struggle. A long, long time. But you were ultimately on your road to recovery when you told her, you got to go. I didn't you know? even say it. I just backed off. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. just backed off and let her do her thing, whether it and was good or bad. Yeah. And that's usually when they start saying, okay, I guess I got to do this. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. and I don't want to, I don't want to uh, imply that it was smooth sailing. It wasn't. No. You know, it, it was bumpy. <laughs> and, you know, you guys tend to be kind of dramatic sometimes. Totally. <laughs> so, oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Even still. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So we had, we had a little drama here and there, but, you know, overall, and, you know, as time goes on, she's getting better and better and stronger and stronger. But I really do think it took me just saying, okay, I'm done, but not loud. Just backing away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. backing away. Because I wasn't sure, you know? No, you could have jumped back into the right. to the madness right. in the moment if you wanted to, yeah. Yeah. Into the, yeah. Back into the fray. But. Well, you know, this has, been a, this has been a real good show. We only have a, a couple of minutes left. So um, can you say again how people can get in touch with you? Because uh, I'm sure somebody out there is listening going, maybe I should get that free consultation call and maybe you can, you know, point them in the right direction. I mean, you may get a call from Ireland. You may get a call from <laughs> That's great. New I'm Zealand. Virtual, so I can yeah. get a call from yeah. anywhere in the world. Yeah. Um, it, you can go to my website at com, or you can email me at jennifer at com. Awesome. You know, it's been great having you on the show. Thank and, you guys um, so much. Ultimately, such a treat. Ultimately, an hour really doesn't do justice to any of the guests that we have, so we always ask if they would mind coming back in a couple more weeks so that we can digest what it was that we spoke about and, you know, maybe you can share a couple of things that have happened over the month and I got a call from somebody and, you know, that was listening in Israel, and um, you know, <laughs> I would love to. I'd love to be back. This is great. You guys are great. Yeah. Okay. So what we'll do is we'll we'll set that up and uh, stay on the line. Um, we will set that up. Um, 
when we get off, we'll we'll send another date. I'll I'll, I'll send you an email and let me know what your calendar is and okay. where you can go from there. And with that, Ellen, with miracles in recovery, hope is in your corner. That it is. Good night, everyone. Good night. Stay blessed. Thank you for joining us this week for Miracles in Recovery. Be sure to listen again for another edition with your host, Ray Lynch, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel next Monday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a great week. Hope is in your corner.